Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Bridger, Melissa, and I are all here today with an episode where we get to answer questions that have been sent in to us by our Patreon members and through social media. So we have a few that we're going to address today. If you guys have others, we would love to have you send those in so we could do another Q&A episode later. Um, But before we get started with that, I just want to remind all of you that we have a Patreon account, and if you're not sure what that is, Um, It's a platform where we post bonus episodes, um, additional resources, videos, audio clips, book reviews, a lot of great information um, and that you can access that by purchasing a subscription. We have kind of a tier of subscriptions anywhere starting at $3 a month on up to $20 a month, which includes consultation calls with us. So if you are interested in that, we would love to have you join our Patreon team and just get to know you a little bit more and what you're looking for and have you in on all the extra material that we have. So check that out at www.patreon.com backslash beyond healing center. So for the first part of our episode today, we're going to take just a minute and introduce somebody that you guys have probably actually already heard talk, and because of pandemic and a few other things, the order of release of episodes um, meant that you have heard his voice before we officially introduced him. So today, we're taking the time to do that. So we have brought on a new therapist to our team here at Beyond Healing Center that is a new co-host on uh, Notice That and also uh, the main host of our new podcast. I'm going to let him talk more about that. But we have uh, Bridger Falkenstein, and Bridger and I have known each other for a little while, and when I first met him, I immediately knew that we wanted to hire him as soon as that was a possibility, so that has (laughs) happened in the last few months. So yeah, Bridger, tell us about yourself, about uh, the new podcast, about um, your work here at BHC, and things Mm -hmm. that you're excited about. Yeah, so thanks for bringing me on. <laughs> I think it's, it's odd to say that now that we're kind of out of order, but it has been just such a beautiful process um, getting to come on at uh, Beyond Healing Center and to do this work, and I, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. I love this so much. So, um, yeah, we have set up uh, a new podcast for um, clients, actually, mm-hmm. which is Beyond Trauma, and those episodes um, should be coming out soon from when this was recorded. Um, but basically the scope of that podcast is, you know, we already have noticed that this podcast and we wanted to, um, make something that was approachable and helpful for clients throughout their process and journey of healing. And so Beyond Trauma is going to cover, um, everything from what does it mean to ask, do I need therapy to how do I find a therapist? What's a good therapist to have? What kind of treatment is there? What do I expect during treatment? How do I know when I've had enough for now? Mm-hmm. Um, coming back to therapy, um, even tips for you know, how does the family respond to therapy and, and what are we gonna do about that? And so it's just gonna be a helpful resource all around for your healing journey. Um, as far as me, I don't know if you want me to mm-hmm. talk yeah, about me a little bit, but um, yeah, so I um, have uh, 
practice at BHC and then also practice at a health center here in town, um, serving clients there. Um, I love to do um, as involved therapy as I can with my clients. So um, I do trauma processing, EMDR trained therapist. Um, I kind of identify as a psychodynamic um, orientation uh, to therapy. So I'm very uh, attachment focused, very attunement focused with my clients and, and viewing them as uh, sort of uh, an amalgam of what has happened to them in their lives. And I use um, somatic information processing, which is a model that we're developing um, but that incorporates a lot of affective neuroscience and uh, a lot of what's been done in the interpersonal neurobiology. So um, that's what I live and breathe and eat and sleep and, and do that <laughs> work. True, so, yeah, polyvagal <laughs> specifically is where I hang my hat um, and rest my head. Um, it, it is everything to me. And so with my clients, I'm always looking at their nervous system and, and figuring out what shaped it and how we can be curious and creative together about uh, healing it. Mm -hmm. yeah, so. so one of the main reasons that we, you know, wanted Bridger to be part of our team is because he has a lot to teach us in terms of uh, working specifically with the nervous system and everything that he has shared with us has really just solidified what we already knew was important in terms of doing EMDR with a particular focus on what is the body doing? What is the nervous system doing? How has that uh, shaped them? And you know, AIP, adaptive information processing, that is the bedrock of EMDR, really um, you know, points us in the direction of understanding how important the body is. And then things like polyvagal theory and somatic information processing take it the next step. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to hear us talk a lot more about that because we really believe that this is the evolution of therapy. Um, and Bridger's here to help us do that. So we're so excited to have you. No, I could yes. not be more excited. Yeah. You yes. know, and I think those of you listening, as you've been implementing EMDR, if you feel like, wow, I'm running into these roadblocks where it's, I feel like it's working with some clients, but I am really struggling with other clients. Um, I think that the piece of PVT and what Bridger has to offer this team is where we can really learn like how we do EMDR. It's not just about um, protocol. the protocol mm -hmm. and Phases. the structure of it, but mm -hmm. it's how we do it yeah. that really makes the difference from it being effective with client to client. That's right. And so the PVT explanation helps us to understand, oh, that's how. Yes. And that's the healing piece that really moves this protocol from something that may not click with a certain client into something that can be a tremendously healing experience right, yeah. Yeah. and um, for the most complex cases exactly yeah. right and that's where i have found just such a gift in me of synthesis um, of understanding how theory applies to a clinical um, example and all throughout my development that has been something that people have noted in me which feels strange to hear because it's not i don't see it as something that's that's out of the ordinary um, to me, it's it's how I come to the room. Mm -hmm. of, it's just of, how of you bring therapy. It, it, it just is. When someone is talking, I have all of these authors lining up in my mind and these researchers and what they've said and how it applies, and I'm able to, to uh, sort of package that in a way that is the most relevant to the client or to the consultee or to whoever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and if you are listening to this right now and you're wondering, you know, or thinking, I have a few cases that I would love to talk through. Uh, let us know because we can we can we can make that happen. Um, that's some that's a vision for Beyond Healing Center that we want to 
we want to um, bring to people and to the world is to change therapy forever um, in, into something that is emergent and beautiful and, and individual and creative and curious. So, yeah. Yes. All beautiful words. Yes. I love those. Yeah. <laughs> I could just yeah. keep going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So as we get into some of our questions that we got for today, I'm going to read. I think we have about two or three selected that we'll dive into today. So the first one, um, she wrote in, said, one question I have is about EMDR with borderline personality disorder. And if you have ever had any information on combining it with DBT, mm-hmm. I'm also wondering about EMDR with schizophrenia when the patient does not have an extensive trauma history and whether hallucinations could be desensitized. Two part, maybe even three part, yeah. four part question. <laughs> really good, good question. question. Uh-huh. Yeah, very yes. interesting. Well, so which bit of that do we want to start? How do we want to start? Let's start with the first part. So borderline. Yes, EMDR with borderline personality and combining it with DBT. Mm -hmm. I have so much to say. I do too. I imagine all of us do. So who's going to start? Yeah. Okay. So what I would like to offer is the conceptualization piece. Okay, that's a good place to start then. What about what you want to offer? So I want to talk about um, the the unique way that you can blend DBT with the resourcing okay. phase That's, of yeah, EMDR. Yeah. What do you yeah. want to offer? All, all of that, and then in addition to the attachment piece and Beautiful. attachment mm-hmm. ruptures being kind of the... So does it make sense to focus. start with the conceptualization? Yep, that sounds right. good. Okay, cool. So borderline personality disorder, and if anything, um, all personality organizations of any kind um, are creative manifestations of... Um, their attachment and trauma history. Trauma here having a much broader uh, definition than just a traumatic event. Um, We've talked elsewhere about um, a broader definition of trauma being um, when something comes into your... Is it okay if I say it? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) When something comes into your universe that is uh, too much, too soon, uh, too much for too long, or too little for too long. So that is really expanding your definition of trauma because... um, Traumatic events, what we know from AIP and EMDR just in general and all that's come out of affective neuroscience and trauma, um, trauma has the most direct and powerful link to reorganizing um, neural networks as well as how that manifests in terms of personality and mm-hmm. um, behavior. So if we have that understanding, then it kind of shifts our uh, awareness and assessment of personality organizations to creative manifestations of their nervous system. That to me is how I interpret personality disorders. So it doesn't really, it's not just a diagnosis or a label to say here's the confines of how this is going to present and act. It's it's telling me, it's like breadcrumbs to the story of how they got here. Right. And then from that I, I work backwards basically and how do we um, how do we go about healing it? So um, borderline personality disorder obviously is defined, um, the reason it's called borderline is because it's between psychoses and neuroses. So it's, it's floating that line of um, big mood swings, um, you know, self-detrimental behavior, whether that be self-harm or interpersonally, mm-hmm. unpredictability, irrationality. Push-pull Push-pull, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I love you, get away from me, mm-hmm. that kind of organization. So that can be really... Um, uh, activating and um, sort of dysregulating for therapists and definitely for their system, their client system, uh, their support system. So um, it gets uh, some 
pretty interesting reactions from different people. So if you are a therapist that's working with it, um, understanding how you're responding to it is a big piece of how you begin treatment. Um, that kind of push-pull narrative gets really agitated in uh, therapeutic scenarios mm -hmm. where the therapist is becoming an attachment figure to them which has not been safe, which is why um, you know, if you look at the intersection of borderline personality disorder and disorganized attachment, which mm -hmm. Jen, you yeah. mentioned you're going to talk about later, that's how this behavior is manifesting. So um, shifting, the piece that I want to add to the conversation is shifting the way you're even conceptualizing borderline personality disorder, not as a, you know, um, codified list of patterns and behaviors that's in the DSM, but more so creative expressions of their dysregulation. If you can shift your awareness and conceptualization to that posture, the healing journey becomes about offering safety, um, offering context and choice and connection to the person as they oscillate in their borderline organization. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and that I think that piece in particular leads straight into the uniqueness of how to resource these clients because if we think about what their nervous system is trying to accomplish, as Bridger is saying, with that, that push-pull and that um, kind of back-and-forth oscillation of what their nervous system is doing, the goal of the behavior is always about looking for nurture and attachment. And safety. Yeah. yeah. But because of all of the trauma that they've experienced, when they go to seek that out in their environment, they move into these very, very dysregulated patterns that either come out as fear and anxiety, they often come out as rage, um, some clients that will even present as over-sexualized behavior, so people we see pleasing. people yeah, pleasing, yeah, there, there's all of these different strategies that they use, but remembering that the goal is that they're looking for attachment and safety. Which typically those behaviors manifest the rejection of other people, right. which continues to perpetuate yes. Yes, that right. agitated See, nervous no one, system. Yeah, yeah. No right. loves me. And right. I think like to your point, Melissa, about um, the goal, the goal is absolutely, which is a universal human goal, seeking nurturance and safety mm -hmm. and attachment, but that figure who plays that role has become unsafe. Right. Right. Which that's the push part of the narrative. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So as far as resourcing, one of the things that um, we always want to remember with this population is that they likely have a held belief of it's not safe to feel safe. Yes. Very important. So when we come into their system and we're offering things like calm, comfortable place and all of that, we're basically telling their nervous system, okay, it's safe to feel safe now. Like, calm down, please. Which violates um, a rule. Which violates a rule that, and a commitment that they have made to themselves that they will not let themselves be vulnerable in that way. So do not be surprised if when you offer a resource like Calm Comfortable Place, you actually get either some resistance or a strong ab reaction that comes out of that um, because their, their system is not convinced that that is an okay choice for them, that that level of vulnerability is, is a good idea. So at the beginning, we may have to do other kinds of resources as an introductory resource where most people would do well with Calm Comfortable Place, these clients may not. Um, it's not that we don't offer it to them, but we just expect that that might be particularly challenging for them and that we may need to be kind of creative in that process with them. For instance, it may they may want their calm, comfortable place to include other people mm -hmm. because their desire for that, their seeking for that attachment is so powerful. It's the most powerful thing that's happening in their system. But anytime they try to come into relationship, their, their other patterning is going to get triggered. So sometimes what works better is to have a calm, comfortable place that's more about neutrality 
and nothingness. Yeah, right? lack of thread. Lack of thread. So uh, I've done this with people where it's a, just a blank room. Nothing there but a comfy chair. Nobody's in there, nothing going on. You're just sitting there in this empty room. Now, sometimes you also have people that get agitated by that aloneness. Yes. <laughs> so this is what I mean by there has to be this sense of creativity right. in, in what's going to work for their system. Right. And particularly important for them is that we're not going for happy. We're not going for joyful. We're going for neutral. Remembering that the ultimate goal of calm, comfortable place is to take them out of a state of overstimulation or anxiety and back to a place of neutrality. So if they don't love their calm, comfortable place, that's okay. We just need it to accomplish neutrality. Mm -hmm. If they cannot do a calm, comfortable place at all because it takes them into those patterns, choose a different resource that is specifically focused on neutrality. My favorite neutrality resource is focus on your left pinky finger. <laughs> what is it feeling right now? It's feeling nothing. The, the air the cool air. That's it. Okay, just focus on that. Take all of your attention into that one place in your body that is feeling nothing other than the sense of the air on your skin. That is a neutrality resource. And I know that sounds overly simplistic, but that's exactly what we need in these kinds of situations. Right. Um, and also you can let them choose which body part works for them. I've had people choose elbows, toes, Earlobes, earlobes are a good one. Yeah. You don't feel anything in your earlobe if you pay attention to it. There's just a bunch of nothing there. And that is what we're looking for. So that is an option to keep keep in mind is that we want a, a neutrality resource for them. Um, the question also talked about how to combine this with DBT. As you get into your DBT work with these clients, you're, you're giving them new emotional regulation skills. Mm -hmm. um, and it works best, and DBT really, really emphasizes the relationship between therapist and client with healthy, appropriate boundaries to begin reshaping their response patterns around attachment. That's right. So every time they are utilizing a new skill that you're teaching them with DBT, even in the smallest ways, if it goes well at all, that is an opportunity to pause and install with BLS because you're enhancing that reshaping of those neural networks for them around this concept of I found a moment of regulation in the presence of another person but not with the pattern of enmeshment. Yes. Right? So so anytime that that happens well, you're teaching them a new skill or they come into session and say, hey, I tried that thing and it actually worked and my mom and I had a totally different kind of interaction. Great. Stop right there and install that. Okay. Mm -hmm. That kind of resourcing is really, really helpful for this population. Well, and I think I also want to add transference-focused therapies mm -hmm. um, to the conversation of how to do effective borderline or even just personality disorder treatment in general. Right. Transference, you know, making that explicit, um, that just goes along perfectly with what you were saying, mm -hmm. Melissa, about... Um, hey, we just tried that and you had a different reaction. Make that explicit. What's it like to connect with me that. now and yes. then install it? That's yeah. right. Yeah. And if you guys are wondering, like, well, how do I install that? Don't overcomplicate it. Yeah. Literally, the better. Yeah. Yeah. stick the buzzers <laughs> in their hands or get your BLS ready in whatever way you do it. All they need to do is focus on what just happened, what was the experience, get an image or a word that represents that, and then most important of all, the physical sensation that goes with that. That's right. 
if they're feeling it in their body and they're intentionally focused on it in their mind and you apply the BLS, it will do what it needs to do. Mm -hmm. Do that for a few sets. As long as it's going well, it's enhancing it um, maybe three or four times and then move on with the session. But you've had just a brief moment of really installing a powerful new way that their nervous system responded and that's exactly what you're looking for. And you, I, you can do that even without bilateral. If it doesn't mm-hmm. feel convenient or it might feel awkward to bring that in, it's just okay to just sets, ask them, yeah. can we just pause mm-hmm. in this moment and just notice that? Let's right. just sit in this together for a minute mm-hmm. and feel that, what you feel with right. that experience. And right. so that's something I think really is brought in like multiple times a session, especially yes, with this population, yes. because yeah. you're strategically focusing on the reshaping of that relationship pattern. And you are going to be the first, if not only person in their life, they're able to do that within this time frame. Right. Yeah. Because there's, you're the professional. Yes. You're the one that they can trust and you're held to that. So mm-hmm. really bringing in a focus of that reshaping happening within the session. And I think with that, um, and Jen, I kind of want to tee you up to talk about the attachment because mm-hmm. you, as the therapist in this context, are going to be the victim <laughs> of a mm-hmm. lot of their explosions to yeah. this new environment. Yeah. So, you know, the very nature of you guys meeting is agitating their personality disorganization. Right. So if they have a rage pattern, it's going to come it's out. It's going to come out yeah. and they will, you might just never see them again like that, mm-hmm. you know, because they're just like, that violates the rule in their nervous system that it's not okay to connect. Well, this person's going to connect with me and actually offer healing. Not going to do yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Or it might be massive resistance and anger in the session. Absolutely. So, or all or of the above. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, dissociation. It could be yes. many different things. But just yes. be expecting that and know that that's part of it. But yes. Jen, I don't know if you want to talk more about the attachment there. But what I think we could do literally an entire podcast on or entire episode on attachment. Yes. But Bridger, what you said earlier about kind of the the roots of this is trauma and attachment disruptions Mm -hmm. in their history. And so, of course, resourcing, I think, needs to be a heavy part at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But when we get ready to start looking in backwards with the client, we're going to be wanting to look at what are those attachment patterns and how do we begin to repair the storage of those in their their memories of that um, and to look at them through a different lens, but more so how do we help them to experience new healthy attachments now? That can be number one with us. That will be the primary piece that we're seeing that happen. But there's a lot of um, targeting, processing, installing of resources, of ego state work, yeah. a lot of um, approaches to help them experience um, visualizations and interactions with other healthy attachment figures yes so when we talk about you know installing a nurturing figure a protective figure those are kind of moving in that direction um doing ego state work where we're bringing back an adult self to comfort that child Mm -hmm. self who was hurt and didn't have a healthy person to attach to we're developing some healthy attachment experiences that are kind of correcting um, the way their nervous system was storing that and the activation and bringing a sense of connection and safety. So if you've studied attachment theories and you do attachment work, you're going to really want to pull in those strategies here. If you haven't and you work a lot with borderline personality, I'd highly recommend doing some reading on that um, and even maybe looking at specific I did want to offer a trainings. resource in yeah. that. Um, so very few therapies have actually been shown to be successful in treating personality Mm -hmm. disorders which that's why they're kind of the black sheep of 
of therapies. Schizophrenics also. Um, so it's interesting we're going to talk about them both. Mm-hmm. But um, one that has been um, recently showing very promising results in uh, efficacy uh, studies is uh, specifically attachment uh, therapy and specifically the three pillar model of Dan Brown and David Elliott. I want you guys to just Google that. There's a great book and they actually have a course that you can take that has CEUs associated with it. Um, that's, uh, I think it's like $400 or something like that. So not too bad, but you get a ton of resources and it's online. So you have those resources forever, but the book is called attachment disturbances in adults, uh, treatment for comprehensive repair. This book is, it's a serious book. It's gigantic and it's, it is a textbook, but it has the full history of attachment uh, treatment for uh, all kinds of disorders just in general and borderline personality disorder getting specific attention there. So I would definitely recommend that resource. Another resource, there's a book called Attached, The New Science of Adult Attachment and How It Can Help You Find and Keep Love. Um, you can find it on Amazon and it's by Amir Levine, so check that out. I've had um, several, it's a great book, several clients read it and feel like it's very Mm reader-friendly, relatable, Um, so that was another great resource. Mm A couple more comments before we move on to the other population. I want to talk about the a couple of things when you're picking targets and when you're actually in the reprocessing uh, portion of EMDR with people with borderline you want to also pay attention to um, behaviors they observed in their parents um, because often they have stories where these particular ways of and patterns of responding in relationships, not only did they have their own experiences that made uh, that seem like the right choice, they also usually have done a lot of observation of a parent with a personality disorder. Yes. Where there is one borderline, there is often another or a narcissistic parent or something like that Um, so just keep a lot of attention on what did they observe behaviorally whether it had a really obvious impact on them or not that parental observation and that parental shaping is a huge portion of this personality disorders are reactionary yes Mm -hmm. i think that's just base level you have to have that understanding look for what were they reacting to who who shapes them and how that's right that's right in my work i have learned with this population it's very rare that you're going to just do target 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 it's going to be maybe target and then step back and it's relational interaction Mm -hmm. and it's you know they're reminded i am safe here and that was okay and they're waiting for the fallout of i was just very vulnerable now you're going to leave me or now you're going to hurt me and so moving away from it doesn't just have to be every session we're moving into working on trauma that we right. might do a little bit That's of that work and we might pull yeah. back for several weeks mm-hmm. yeah target focused in that way is actually you're not getting at the root of the problem right. the root of the problem is the mechanism by which they understand the target itself right. so you have and to it, yeah get it would to not that. be hugely surprising if at some point you actually target their interactions with you exactly which yes. is is not something that we do a ton with clients um, but just know that with this population, that is actually pretty important yeah. and is likely going to happen. The other thing that you definitely want to keep an eye on is the blocking beliefs because you're going to totally. run into a lot of them. You want to be tracking them. You want to plan for them ahead of time. So when they do yes. come up in the midst of processing, you, you're you ready to respond to that. Yeah, and understand that their nervous system believes they have to have those. Yes, yes. Yeah. To stay safe and protect themselves, they have to have them. Yes. So with 
the level of detail that we're going into these, what do you guys think about addressing the next part of the question and then releasing another episode almost right after with follow-up questions, like the other questions? Yes, yeah. I think that's good. Yeah, that yeah. sounds good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the second part of this question is, I'm also wondering about EMDR schizophrenia. So we're looking at that population. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, their question here is without an extensive trauma history, which I think is an interesting piece. Yes. Um, I would say that probably falls without the client's awareness of an extensive trauma history or without the conceptualization. They don't think that there is or what they're viewing in their history, in their life, they don't see as traumatic. Right. Um, And whether hallucinations could be desensitized. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to have to step out at this point, but good luck with that one, guys. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Thanks, Jen. That's right. Okay, so... I'm finding, uh, like, I want to start again with the conceptualization piece. <laughs> <laughs> That's where I always go. I, well, I want to I wanna start by just talking about the uniquenesses of working with this population and what it, what it often feels like yeah. as a therapist. Yeah. Um, so I get pretty passionate about talking about this population. One way to say it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So maybe before we recorded this episode, they, they got to witness just how intense I can feel sometimes about all of this. Um, there might've been a few expletives. Okay. So the, 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 the reason, no, sorry guys. Um, the reason why I feel so strongly about this in part is because this is actually where I started my therapeutic career. Was with them. Yes, I did. And yeah. Oh boy, was it, was it a place to learn? Um, so part of, part of what I observed is that in general, the way that therapy tends to be done with schizophrenics is either very, very dismissive of the importance of the expression of their nervous system, meaning coming out in in delusions and hallucinations and things like that, or on the other end of that, an over fixation. Yeah. And almost a, a neglect of the human underneath the, the delusions and hallucinations. Yeah. So You called it voyeuristic. In <laughs> I, I did say that. I think that's an excellent way because that's, that's so true. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so what can happen is that, you know, their, their perceptions and their delusions, their hallucinations so are creative. really, they're so creative and so fascinating that we can kind of fall down the rabbit hole of trying to understand and listen to all of this and really... Um, do ourselves and them a disservice by almost being distracted uh, by by what is presenting. Yeah, yeah, yes, and I mean that is an awful way of saying it. But and people I, do it. People do it, and therapists do it, <laughs> yes. and this is why I get a little I know you know touchy about yeah. it. Um, so all of that to say, if you pick up on a little bit of intensity on my part, that's where that's coming from. Um, and also some guilt on my part of, you know, early in my career, not understanding how to handle this population with the care that they really deserve because they are truly one of the most vulnerable, um, and wounded populations because they, because of the way their nervous system is responding to trauma and to threats in their environment. There's a couple of things that are almost always true. Number one, everything feels like a threat to them. And understanding that they live that way, that they live constantly perceiving everything in their environment as a potential threat or a real threat, um, to me is just a, uh, yeah, creates so much compassion and needs to create a lot of compassion. Um, so I do want to start with um, the, the research that has been done specifically on EMDR with this population. There's a book that we're going to recommend. It's called EMDR Therapy for Schizophrenia and Other Psychoses. It's by Paul Miller. 
And he does a much better job that we're going to be able to do of really going through how to do this population justice because um, I, I highly, highly recommend that you get specialized treatment, if not treatment. Well, that <laughs> that, probably that's probably helpful. <laughs> <laughs> that you get specialized training um, before we work with this population. However, I'm also acutely aware that some of you are probably serving this population that. because you have to, because they don't have access to other care, because we don't have a lot of specialists um, in this area. And so you, like I was, we're doing the best that Just we can. Yes. Um, so we want to speak specifically to that. If you find yourself in that situation, please seek resources. But also, uh, what can we do that is pretty safe? So one of the things that, I and I'm totally skipping over your conceptualization thing because there's so much to say, so feel free to throw it's it fine. in whenever. Everyone really skips the conceptualization. <laughs> no, it's important. <laughs> uh, Okay, fine. Talk about the conceptualization. No, I want you to go ahead, please. (laughs) So so one thing that is uh, particularly helpful to remember is that when they've done research on doing EMDR with this population, EMDR is either incredibly helpful or it is neutral, meaning not much happens. What they did not find was any evidence that it was detrimental. Yes. To me, that's super exciting. Very encouraging. It doesn't mean that we, you know, act like a bulldozer and rush into their nervous system and just play around because it's not dangerous. That's not what I'm saying. But with appropriate care and consideration, um, all of the research so far has said that this is either going to help them or it's going to be benign. And at the very worst, we've wasted time, um, which I don't think that is a waste of time because the entire time that you're in that process with a client, you are doing deep attunement work. You're being supportive. You're learning about what's going on for them. So it is not um, it is not a waste in that sense, but we may not get the treatment benefit that we expect depending on what's going on in their particular nervous system and how well we're able to ascertain what to actually target. Um, so the other thing is what do we target? Mm-hmm. The, these uh, folks are notorious for not being able to give us a accurate representation of their history. Which is where that question of without a trauma history. Right. What I'm do we not do? Sure, how much to right? Yeah, yeah. Like, and we don't want to say we don't believe the client, right. but what we can say is that they they do not connect with the stories yeah. of their lived experience the way that we do. They're unaware of what shapes right. their nervous system. Okay, so now I do want yes. you to talk about conceptualization because this is where it gets really important. How do we conceptualize the case of the the nervous system response moving into delusions and hallucination as the answer? To their experience. Yes, there is a genetic component, but all of our research on schizophrenia says that just because you are genetically predisposed does not mean that you are going to move into that. What happens is that there has to be a crisis point in somebody's life, a high stress point to precipitate precipitate the move into that response pattern. Which that's a great way to start the conceptualization piece Mm -hmm. because that tells you that that nervous system had a predisposed sort of like a back door yes that it could go out if it was triggered or you know impacted in a significant way like an escape hatch if it gets bad enough i I can just head out there yep eject yep gone and that often is what people are so fascinated by of the creativity of their this person's nervous system right and we know that schizophrenia has been linked with dopamine right that gets really important for affective neuroscience and understanding the presentation of the nervous system because, well, this answer would take a long preface. <laughs> yes, it would. Okay, I'm just going to sidetrack it because we're not going to go there right now. Right. Affective neuroscience, specifically, Ock Pong, look it up. 
um, dopamine seeking circuit. Go. Yes. <laughs> They're all just hyperlinks. I wish we'll, I could. We'll hyperlink. talk about. We'll talk yes, about this later. Yes. It's a dopamine-related disorder, which means that it's using and being fed by dopamine to increase the creativity of the response. So much was just said, <laughs> and I just like you, you just have to slow down and listen to it. And but. by creative response in schizophrenia, the most salient piece of that is that their brain is overly capable mm-hmm. of creating connection and creating pattern out of seemingly uh, meaningless stimulation. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, and I think that an easy example is delusions and hallucinations, mm-hmm. perhaps one of the most novel presentations in schizo. Uh, organizations, um, the nervous system is so confounded and so um, pressured that it has to create out of nothing mm-hmm. representations of their fear, their pain, That's their right. sadness, their whatever. That's right. That is the conceptualization shift that needs to occur if you're going to do this work. Right. These are not just random you know, uh, obtrusive or intrusive thoughts that these people are having. Right. They come from something. They, their delusion and hallucination is the face yes. that they have put on a faceless fear. That's right. It's representative. It's symbolic. It's, it's encapsulating. Mm-hmm. So in that way, maybe we can start talking about targeting right. delusions and hallucinations. How do we do that? And if we should. Yes. The answer is yes. Yes. Um, so they... I think yes, if is where I want to go. But And yes, and. Yes, yes. Yes, <laughs> yes but understand what you're actually doing. Exactly. Yes. Um, Thank you. So, so with all EMDR, a target memory is simply the doorway into their neural circuitry. Oh, my gosh. I love that sentence. <laughs> Great job. Crushed it. We have fun over here, guys. Oh, so much fun. Uh, uh, wow. I know. So... <laughs> so what that means for us as therapists is that when we are doing target selection, we are simply looking for the door in. Yes. And for somebody that is dealing with schizophrenia, or really any presentation of psychosis, their, their delusion or the specifics of their hallucination, that is our door into the neural network of whatever the, the affect, the big um, visceral emotional you know, survival instinct system that is operating behind the scenes and creating this reaction pattern. So I don't have to understand what all of this is. No, no. In fact, that is less important. What we're trying to do is stimulate the brain around the details of the delusion or the hallucination enough so that we actually get into the neural network that is usually um, being overly activated. So in, in people with schizophrenia, the most likely uh, circuits that are being overly activated in their system would be fear and anxiety and the seeking circuit. So important. So important because the seeking circuit is very, very tied up with dopamine. And so basically their, their system is constantly on the hunt for an explanation for what they're feeling in their body and in their system, which is that intense fear and anxiety is, and sometimes rage. This is what separates just an anxiety disorder from right. schizophrenia because right. an anxiety disorder is very similar. They have that fear and anxiety in the seeking circuits that are um, that have been overactivated. That's right. But schizophrenics manufacture an answer. Yes. 
that is the difference. Yes. So it moves. It's it's almost just like an ex, uh, an excitation of and, anxiety. And disorders. this is not this is not done consciously. No. This is a this is a physiological because process. of the back door they have. Yes. And the like this is basically um, their nervous systems answer to what is happening in their survival system. We all have system. them. Yes. Yeah, some people move to depression. Some people move to. Uh, nightmares. Some people move to schizophrenia if they have the genetic backdoor availability for that. Um, some people move to dissociation. We all have yes. our particular predispositions towards an answer, and this is theirs. Um, so understanding that, we, we can target their delusions and hallucinations, but we can understand that what we're actually doing is working with the, the damaged affective circuitry. And the way that we do that, honoring their process wherever they are. Um, so with that kind of shift in understanding of the conceptualization of schizophrenia and borderline personality disorder, um, therapy is uh, it's a patient process with these with these populations, mm -hmm. and to do that uh, alone is not ever a, a good idea. So consultation is always um, kind the of your part. trusted friend there. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, always be curious and trusting of their process and your own, paying attention to how you feel and. Uh, where the treatment is headed, and I think that's uh, good enough for now. <laughs> a place to end. These questions were wonderful and dense, and we so appreciate you guys taking the time to write in and ask your questions. Um, we're actually going to do another Q and A episode because um, there were just there was so much to talk about. It and took as, so long. I know, as you guys know, we love to talk about this stuff, so we get a little enthusiastic, and it goes for a long time. So, thank you so much for taking the time to listen today, and we'll be back again with another Q and A episode. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today, and we'll be back again with another Q and A episode. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to noticethat at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time.
And so whatever you do, providing absolute safety, choice, uh, freedom in that situation, because they are very, very, yeah, Yeah, deep connection. They're very sensitive to feeling trapped, to feeling overwhelmed, to feeling like people are out to get them. And 